Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 88 was recorded live November 3rd, 2011. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson, and some of the articles we're going to have this week in the news. We have Dive Shop Owner Faces the Court, Diver Gives Up Record-Breaking Attempt, Some Pumpkins Die the Hard Way, and we have Art is a Reef Project, and we're also in the middle of Demo Week, so we'll have a little bit of Demo's going to sneak in here. And to help me dissect all of this is Mac, our dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Pretty good. Nice, chilly, ugly day out there. Yeah, it has been. Uh, we're, we're falling into that time of the year where it's not as nice and tropical as we used to have. Uh, certainly not 75-degree weather out there. No, uh, not at all. And uh, as we'll hear a little bit later in the show, uh, we're, we're getting into our fall diving season. So all the good and bad that goes along with that, we have that coming our way. We have quite a lineup in the news, so we're going to jump right on into that. First article is a follow-up out of Australia. We have that dive shop owner, if you remember, and I can't remember what episode this was, but it's been quite a while ago. Uh, and you always, you know, again, anything legal, allegedly, dive shop uh, owner is facing some court accusations on an arson charge. A Hobart court has been told that a fire that destroyed a dive shop did not start in just one area. Preliminary proceedings have begun against Aqua Scuba dive shop owner Eon Robert Cooksey and the uh, magistrate's court in Hobart. Police allege the 40-year-old started the fire, which destroyed his business in Elizabeth Street, North Hobart, in April. Cooksey pleaded not guilty to one count of arson. The uh, investigator told the court the damage showed the fire had been in a service area and a separate fire more than three meters away in a retail section of the shop. He told the court security logs showed smoke detectors were activated only a minute and 49 seconds after Cooksey left the shop. Mr. Ling said the findings an independent fire investigator were not supported by physical evidence at the scene on the day. The court has been adjourned to the Supreme Court in January. Well, it does sound sort of suspicious when the start of the fire and, and the secondary fire is 10 feet away. Well, that and, and then just coincidentally, you leave the shop and less than two minutes later, the smoke alarm goes off. Absolutely. Yeah, just a little bit of timing there. Could be a coincidence, but... Yeah, it doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound good. Uh, we'll let the courts take their time on that one, but uh, you can almost come to your own prejudgment, as <laughs> all media loves to do. Uh, pain in black. Next one is Divers gives up record-breaking attempt off, for, off uh, I'm going to say Fort Lauderdale, Lauderdale-by-the-Sea. That is kind of an unusual name for a town, Lauderdale-by-the-Sea. A little different, but the reason he got, uh, you know, he gave up his attempt is like we were talking about with the weather they were having out there. We were debating whether or not he was going to be able to do this, and it looks like the weather got to him. Yep. Uh, he uh, abandoned his planned three-day record-setting attempt after only 12 hours underwater. The very strong current made it difficult for safety divers working with him to swim the 200 yards offshore to his location 
near the town's artificial reef. At one point, the team had asked the town's volunteer fire department to use its water scooter to bring fresh tanks out to uh, Sherrod. Yeah, because we had wondered how far offshore he would be and how deep. And now at least we know he was 200 yards, which is a nice swim if you've got rough seas. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm just curious. He must have had some like uh, maybe a little air tank by air tank, like I'm talking about telephone booths. So mm-hmm. you could bring it up and change your regulators or something, if that's what he was doing to uh, change out his air tanks. It could be. Or maybe they just had regulators or, you know, preloaded on the tanks when they changed them out and he just swapped them. Yeah. But uh, he, he says he's going to give it another try in January. Well, I bet he has warmer water in January than we do. <laughs> yeah, he certainly will. Uh, and he I, probably won't uh, have as uh, hard surfaces we will have at that time. Yeah, we're going to be using a chainsaw in January. Yeah, I think uh, we'll have hard water. Yeah, you know what? Should we make a prediction now? What do you think for uh, New Year's Eve? you think open water or hard water? I'm going to say open water. Open water. Even though I hear the uh, forecast is snow, but less snow than we had last year, and cold, but not as cold as last year. Well, I've been hearing the unofficial squirrel fur reports are saying that the squirrels are extra furry, so... Uh, some people are saying that means that we're going to have a really uh, snowy winter. It'll be interesting to see how the, the weather does. I mean, the other day we did have ice in the backyard, meaning, well, the the mountain, the dew was uh, actually very hard. Yeah, we've had some ice already. And out by me, something that's become more popular with the wineries are ice wines. So yes. you, could, you can see them. What they'll do is they put tape around the wineries. I guess it's to keep people from accidentally harvesting them. And then uh, as soon as they get that first hard frost and they start harvesting the grapes and they use those in their ice wines, which, you know, or a normal bottle of uh, locally grown wine might go from 8 to $12 for a bottle. The ice wines for a bottle that looks very thin is about 20 some dollars. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't remember having any. I'm looking forward to trying it because I hear it's pretty good. It's a, it's kind of a dessert type of wine. It's a, the ones I've had are sweet. Yeah, you know, what's happens is that it freezes a lot of the water out, so all that you're left with is just sugar. So you have a very yep. sweet wine, but uh, it's it's good. I I like dry wines. I like sweet wines. I like them all. Call me a wino. In fact, that's uh, what's probably going to keep me from uh, diving this weekend as we get later in the show. Um, next article up is air cut off to underwater divers during this dispute. Uh, Quebec hearing was told that scuba divers who refused to leave a Quebec dock during a labor dispute had their air compressor shut off while they were underwater. Uh, this was told during a hearing. Uh, the hearings into a controversial bill to overhaul job placement in Quebec construction industry wrapped up Thursday the way they started with allegations of intimidations on work site. A small union rival in the Providence's uh, largest union, the Quebec Federation of Labor, reported that lives of some of its members were put in danger this week when people showed up at the uh, dock on Monday too close to the work site as part of the wave of wildcat strikers protests against the government bill. Uh, the scuba divers refused to leave, and the strikers retaliated by shutting down the compressors. Uh, president of the CSD Construction told members of the legislature that this is totally disgusting. Well, and then you, before the show, Mac, we were talking about this, and you mentioned that if they're running off uh, underwater lines and that's not scuba diving? Correct. Right. Scuba is self-contained. You may have a bailout if you're in a, an obstructed airway, but that's still considered surface air. Uh, so by the term using, you know, they're using a scuba divers, I am, I, I'm not quite sure if that's because they don't know the difference between, you know, construction hard hat 
I mean, off the docks, you normally are using, you know, supplied air with communications as opposed to scuba. So I'm curious about that statement. Yeah, I just think it's the same th- reason why they always say oxygen. Yeah. <laughs> when they talk about it or scuba suit or flippers. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that's uh, not really that cool to be up there. But then I'm also wondering, it seems like they should have had somebody up. I mean, if, especially assuming they're hard hat divers and it's commercial, aren't you required to have a tender? Oh, absolutely. You'll, you'll have a tender, you'll have a timekeeper, you'll have people watching the, com- the compressors. But if you have a larger group of people, then you have helping you and they can't do much because one's holding your line, the other is monitoring what's going on with you. They're going to go over there and turn off the machinery and then uh, you're SOL. You're going to come back up. Well, could this have been, could, could there be something that we're missing from the story? Could there be another angle that maybe uh, they wanted to be sympathetic to the strikers, but they also want to get paid too? So you go get uh, your gear on, you go down in the water, and then somebody symbolically, symbolically turns a compressor on and off real quick, and they go, oops, and then they call the dive? It could be, but I, it doesn't really sound like it to me. Yeah, because I mean, it's certainly a little, little bit more interesting of a story, at least for us. Right, but when you, they're talking about, you know, threats of breaking your leg, uh, what, their offices were vandalized during the past week. I'm just reading some of the other item. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. I would not want to uh, be involved with that. That's uh, It could hurt. Makes you think of the Jimmy Hoffa days, maybe. Yeah. I'm sure all they did was talk to you, though. Oh, yeah. No, nothing. Nothing ever happened like that. No correction. Next one up is we have North Fork. Fork. N-J-R-O-T-C tackles the eelgrass problems. Members of the Navy Junior Reserve Officer Training Corps got help, lessons in helping conserve and uh, restore the environment. They're working with experts from the Cornell Cooperative Extension Marine Meadows Program, a Southhold Manituck, and Greensport. Yeah, like, like you said, Mac, I can't tell. Is this England or New England? And I haven't been able to tell, but they say it's on the Atlantic coast, the the area they're particularly talking about, where it was destroyed by dredging, boats, and algae blooms. I I think we'll call this one, uh, this is, well, it's the Suffolk Times. Yeah, 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 okay. Well, maybe Junior ROTC, that sounds American. Manituck, New York. Yeah, it didn't sound like the the Queen's English or whatever. No, I I was looking for color spelled O-U-R and some of those keys. Uh, they said many lessons have have been learned and success has been realized during this time. Uh, it is envisioned that the will be a long-term aspect of the restoration efforts. Uh, what they're finding is that over from dredging, what the heck is going on? That dredging has uh, taken away a lot of the seagrass along with algae blooms, suffocating stuff off. So uh, they said much of this damage was caused in the 1980s uh, by large-scale die-offs in our local waters. So... Uh, they're planting some of the seagrass, hoping to get it to restore, and they said that it helps in the cycle of many of the fish and seashell species. Did you know, look at some of the comments under that, all the way down? Talked about good effort, but the environment is misunderstood by these scientists. Think of what is being said. Die-offs of eelgrass in our local waters have been a problem for 70 years. The real solution recognized, requires a recognition that the problem is not only eelgrass, so they're talking at a caller, uh, it's called salt water, no, salt marsh die-offs appears to be what they are saying is the real issue. Well, that could make sense. Uh, that's one of the things that uh, can happen, uh, you know, in Michigan and some of the other places, just been the 
the hard shores versus soft soft shores debate. Uh, you wonder how much that plays a, a factor in this. Yeah. Also, when you have uh, rivers that we don't let flood like they used to, some of those nutrients going out uh, used to supply the marshes. Next one we have on the list, students learn about diving from the fire department dive team. And I thought this was excellent. Uh, it's kind of like a win-win. It gets some uh, local fire departments out there, and it encourages or shows scuba diving. Well, I think the key item there is you had divers, fire department or otherwise, who said, hey, let's have a learning experience for people. Yep. Members of the Imperial VFD Dive and Rescue Team helped expose students to scuba diving uh, in Dan Linear's PE1 and PE2 classes earlier this fall. Uh, that's Volunteer Fire Department, VFD. Oh, okay. Uh, other divers assisted during the week-long classes. So they had some uh, excellent. It's, it's nice to get out there. Uh, and get some students. So that might even be a good idea for some local dive shops. Uh, you know, partner with some some of the public safety teams. Get out there and be some advocates. Get get kids out there diving or 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 learning about it. And uh, oh, this you know is, why they're called the Imperial Volunteer Fire Department? Why is that? That's because that's the name of the town or county they're from. I just oh. noticed that. I was curious. Imperial. Imperial. It sounded English again. Yeah. So like, as I said, just like New England, Imperial yeah. New England. And, and this next story is, is a great uh, tragedy. Something's got to be done about it. This is uh, pumpkins. Pumpkins are being slaughtered. Oh, my gosh. Tell me it's not true. On Saturday, more than 40 divers participate in the third annual underwater par- pumpkin carving contest in the Grand Lagoon Yacht Club in Pensacola. MBT, MBT divers in the great the Grand Lagoon Yacht Club hosted an event, which included more than 25 students from the University of West Florida Scuba Club. As a result, we're pretty spectacular. So some excellent pumpkin? pictures there. What's that? See the size of that pumpkin? <laughs> either that, either that, 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 that uh, student is really short and small, or that is a huge pumpkin. I mean, yeah, that's... You're trying to keep that? I mean, that sucker floats. <laughs> yeah, you have to have some uh, some weights in that. <laughs> yeah, Dave in the, in, the, in the chat room, he says, that pumpkin's friggin' huge. Man, he must have put 30 pounds in that thing just to keep it down. <laughs> have, you, have you ever done a pumpkin underwater? No, I want to. We, it's like maybe a freaking, we, it's like a, taking down a, a sports ball. They they want to float. If you don't manhandle that, it's gone. I mean, you want to get those holes cut. You want to get more water in there and get that buoyancy out. It, it's really a chore to, and I, something that big, I can't, I don't know how he did that. I don't know how the heck he got it down there. <laughs> we, you're right. I mean, because normally what you do is they have you. Uh, I've heard people say you put them in a mesh bag, and then you weight the mesh bag, and that will help you uh, manage a pumpkin. But I mean, that's not a mesh bag. That's like the opposite of a lift bag. Well, you still got to cut through that mesh bag, but if you want your pumpkin cut, yeah, that is just plain huge. Some excellent photos they have there in the site. Uh, but you know, maybe there needs to be uh, an organization that will that will help these pumpkins. Uh, you know, maybe Peep people for the ethical eating of pumpkins, because you know you're, these these pumpkins aren't going to be turned into pies. I don't know what's what's sadder than that. I don't know. Well, I don't know how the pumpkin run went down here last a couple of weeks ago. That's where they release them out there in the lake, and they have bets on which one to get past the finish line first. No, no, I, I wasn't aware they did that. Yeah, I didn't see the pictures in the paper this year, but they did last year. We came in. We're wondering, what the hell's all these pumpkins doing out here in the 
in the river. And that's when we realized, oh, yeah, that's what the net's for is to catch them because they were numbered. Oh. You sponsored a pumpkin. And if your number is the one that it's like the rubber duck or the duck races, mm-hmm. your your duck or your pumpkin got across the line via your number, you're the winner. Yeah. I don't know what you win, maybe pumpkin ice cream or something. <laughs> but hundreds of pumpkin seeds and entrails. That's really amazing. I assume it could be more than 100. Yeah. Yeah. At my chiropractor this week, they had, uh, you could guess the number of seeds in a pumpkin and, and win something. And uh, that seems like too well, much work. Yeah. I'm looking at those pictures you were talking about. Yeah, they're just barely under the water there for that pumpkin there, as you can see at the bottom. Uh-huh. But it takes two of them to hold that sucker down. Uh, did you do the uh, Roma? You didn't go to Roma's last time, did you? No, uh, I haven't. But I know in the past they usually have those two giant pumpkins there sitting in the window. Yep, they did that. And they wouldn't let you pick them up or anything, but the ladies are all over there trying to figure out how much they weigh. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go to photo number six, then now the pumpkins those people have looked about the same that I'd have. About as big as your head or a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, it looked like that one must have been done. Somebody was just doing it to see who could be the biggest pumpkin that was out there. Oh, like they got a bunch of people out there. Number yeah. seven, that's nice. That's a good shot. You're right. Yeah, they had uh, 25 uh, students plus, uh, wow. So it must have been the rule only was that you had to be in the water. Yeah, I like the one with the skeletons coming out of it. Yeah, because yeah. they're floating and they're cutting it on the surface. That's pretty cool, though. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah, well, that would, that sounds like uh, something that we need to do in the dive club. We need to do. Uh, well, if we could get enough guys to want to do it, we could do that in our river. Yeah. Get a little PR. That's something to think about. There you go. Well, you know, when we vote you president of the club this oh, November, oh, you know, oh, that, no. that's one of those good things you can put on the list for us to oh. do next year. <laughs> what what yeah. day is that? <laughs> Maybe I'll. You know, the nominations have already been submitted to me. <laughs> no. Did I, I miss the meeting? <laughs> I was traveling. Oh, that's true, wasn't it? Oh, geez. Well, I'll give you congratulations after the next meeting. Oh, geez. Oh, okay. So, Underwater Film Festival delights visitors or will delight visitors. They said, uh, save the date for the 7th of November. There's an Underwater Film Festival. The Weston Kasorian Resort and Spa will host the films. Uh, Howard and Michelle Hall will present the Underwater IMAX film production. Andre Levin and his Iris and Ornus Allen Powers wreck of the President Coolidge. And there'll be a feature presentation of the ex-USS Kitty Wake. The shindig begins at 6.30 p.m. at the Governor's Ballroom with cocktails and silent auction. Uh, the film festival is a fundraiser for the Cayman Island Tourism Association and proceeds support the association marine conservation efforts, including Dive 365, Underwater Coastal Cleanup, Lionfish Culling Materials, Kitty Wake Maintenance, Government Liaison, and Office and Staff. Tickets for the film festival are $25. Yeah, but the airfare down to the Caymans is a little more than that, right? Uh, I'm guessing probably the baggage fees will exceed the price of the tickets to get in there. Yeah, probably. But I have heard of, uh, wherever it was a minute, I'll go back to it. Kathy Church, photo. I have heard of Kathy. Not that that adds a lot of validity to it. You know, I mean, big deal. Mac knows <laughs> Kathy, big deal. But anyway, yeah. I've heard of her before, and uh, you'll probably hear about her if you've ever been to Our World Underwater. Yeah. Well, the way I look at it is anybody who's doing IMAX, that's legitimacy ah. right there. I mean, I, I can't afford the, the film for one frame of IMAX slides, let alone a whole movie. Yeah. And next up is Art is a Reef Project Underway Embryo. 
And this one, I think, is off the east coast of the U.S. Uh, this one is uh, just under Route 35 Bridge. It spans the uh, Manasquan River and the docks behind the Shipwreck Grill on Ashley Avenue. Artists, artists are working on a spectacular or a special addition to New Jersey's artificial reef system, a giant horseshoe crab. Since it's in New Jersey, I'm picturing that's the east coast. Well, it says uh, are working on a special addition to New Jersey's artificial reef system. Yep. yep. So New Jersey sounds like it. Yeah. Yep. That's Schultz's stomping grounds. Yeah. But uh, and and you look at they're making quite a big structure, but it's all plastic or is that mesh? It's hard to tell. Well, it looks like mesh with uh, uh, not rebar, but structure. So they must be filling it in or something. I don't know what they're going to make around it. Either that, or maybe they're just figuring that the corals and everything will just grow on it like that, and they don't need to that's, put anything more. That's true. That would be a lot easier to do. Uh, the weight would be extra. Sinking it down would be easy. Yeah. Just might be that. That's pretty. That's something to keep in mind that you were talking about doing reefs and stuff. You could do like that, and those darn cracker mussels be all over that. Mm, that is an interesting idea. But that'd be a heck of a lot easier than some of the alternatives. Oh, absolutely. Huh. That's something to consider. Well, plus you could do some interesting things along well, with that. I was looking at making igloos out of that. You know, looking at the picture. Yeah. Igloos, put those down. The zebras infested. Bingo. You got a nice little place to go into, fill up with air, weight it down a little bit. Yeah. Well, igloos, you could also do, uh, you know, like little tunnels. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. That's an interesting idea. I'm glad I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and it looks like out east they, they encourage it. Uh, it's a 50-foot by 23-and-a-half-foot horseshoe crab sculpture that will be sank on the Axel Carlson's reef outside of uh, the inlet. Oh. They said the scale translates to 4.445 feet for every inch of the model horseshoe crab to the sculpture. Sculpture. Bah, sculpture. Sculpture would be made of cement that would be poured and smoothed and shaped around stainless steel mesh. And rebar. Oh. oh, so they are going to put yeah. concrete on it. Yep. And they're but using I'm... the same mixtures they are for used that are used in the construction of reef balls, which have an estimated life of 500 years on the seafloor. Ah, uh, okay. The unique addition of, to this culture is glass eyeballs. <laughs> That'll be and interesting. That'll be 100 to see. foot of water. Yeah, that's a nice step there. That's pretty swift. But by the same token, doesn't mean you couldn't do what we talked about. No. Oh, and this is, this project has been in effect for 12 or 13 years. So, like, you've been talking about yours for two years. You're still way under the 13-year schedule, though. Yeah, I, I think I, I've got a little bit of time according to their schedule. Right. You're ahead of the time. Yeah. <laughs> and next one is Unique Time in Discovering Treasure by Google Maps. And this one wasn't specifically scuba diving, but it just reminded me of what we've talked about, how much information can be gleaned by Google Maps, people who are taking Google Maps in looking for treasure and objects without actually even having to go out and explore. Well, they actually had some of this at the uh, local library in Stevensville, uh, Lakeshore, or, well, Stevensville Library, and it was on uh, geocache, which is what they're talking here. Yes. And it was interesting. I don't know if you've ever done it, but I never realized what some of the, the containers look like that if you're looking for. Some of those little guys, are they look like twigs. And if you hadn't gone taking a look at what you might be looking for, I I would have never thought that was the item I'm looking at. Oh, okay. No, I haven't. They went anything from small ones like, I mean, you're talking like a pill case to a big one that actually had uh, prizes in it that you take one and leave something. Yep. 
Uh, it was it was really good. It was interesting. Well, that's one of uh, Dima's things that they've been working on is uh, Dima and some of the other dive organizations are trying to get ge- underwater geocaching going. Your GPS doesn't work too good there, though. No. Well, what the, I think the the GPS is just to kind of get you in the area. You still have to do the searching for it underwater. And that that brings us to talking about Dima. We've got Dima going on this week. Uh, now, have you ever been to Dima, Mac? No, I haven't. I I would have liked to. I've gone to the commercial one they used to have in New Orleans, and it was fantastic. And now that I've sort of converted back over to the sport, I'd love to go to DEMA. Yeah. But I'd be tempted to buy stuff, and yeah. I'd probably come home, and it wouldn't be very pleasant. <laughs> well, maybe I'll have to make a plan of it. Uh, I was planning to go in last year, and it didn't work out. This year I knew I wasn't going to make it because uh, we did our South Carolina dive. But uh, maybe next year or the year after, one of the next two years, we'll have to go. Um, next year's in Vegas, and then the following year's down in Florida. But Dima started, I think it officially started today. Well, maybe it was yesterday. I think it was Wednesday. But uh, some articles are starting to come off. And some of these aren't necessarily from Dima, but I thought I'd group everything, dive gear, and related coming out. The first one is Worthington Industries has acquired Staco. Uh, where the can industries uh, is a maker of uh, scuba tanks. That's a part that we care about. And they've bought a, uh, another competitor and they've been in an acquisition spree recently. Uh, and Staco is a leading European producer of automotive liquefied propane gas tanks. Uh, they also make uh, aeronautic breathing air for firefighters, scuba divers, and paintball. They have about 470 employees and sales for last month, last 12 months for 25 million us dollars. So, the only item I looked at here, they talked about uh, composite tanks mm-hmm. for storage, uh, breathing air for firefighters, scuba diving, and paintball. The only difference, as I remember, for the scuba tanks is on the composite, their lifetime is not near what a an aluminum or a steel is. No. So there's some. You, you might want to be aware of that aspect if you're looking at cylinders. Yep. Well, the one thing that they're starting to get into is just the the very high pressure tanks. With some of those fibers, so uh, you'll, you're going to be getting quite a bit above the 3,000 or the 3,800 pounds that we're used to seeing in a tank. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. There's uh, there's definitely something to look at too. I don't think you can, uh, and I and I don't know for sure, so I shouldn't even say. It, but I'm I'm pretty sure you can't hydro some of those some of those. They just when they they get to a certain age. Dave in the chat room is saying uh, they have a 15 year uh, life. Yeah, I would imagine they would be more suspect for underwater use due to impregnation of water based on pressure and use. I don't know. You might have some flex in it. Yeah. But uh, that's 15. I don't know if that's for underwater use or if that's for uh, firefighter use. But yeah. either way, there is a difference. And you take that into consideration of the price when you buy one. Yeah. Yeah. What would be attractive to me with one would be uh, maybe the weight. You know, if I can get a lot more, uh, a lot higher pressure air into a, into a container. A little bit extra bottom time, then you know it might be attractive. Uh, uh, well, and then and then like you ran into when we went to Cooper River uh, with uh, your aluminum tank that you had. Uh, yeah, that one section. Uh, actually, that we found out and we did do research, and those tanks uh, will not be refilled again. They are ooh. the ones that have a tendency or preponderance to go boom. Ooh, wow, that was that was good to check out. Uh, did you have many of those tanks, or we got two of them? Wow. And uh, I was curious about the the nomenclature on the on the um, last hydros, and it had the the prefix indicating it was a special tank, should have been uh, magnafluxed uh-huh. to check the neck. 
at a lot more frequency than it had been done. And that uh, up here, people are not as aware of it as they are down where they have multiple divers, like in Florida, the coast regions of Carolinas, where they look at the stampings a little more closely. Mm-hmm. Well, so that I, has been hard. Yeah, and that's something that we probably should be a little bit better on up here. I think the difference is that we just don't have the a lot of divers coming in. You know, in Florida, you're getting our fair weather divers from up here who the only time they're going and diving is when they go down there. So they're probably, you know, stuff's out of uh, Viz and Hydro. So if they don't watch it, they could have some problems. Well, I think the the key, the key here is uh, these were bought used as part of a, an auction of equipment. Mm-hmm. And uh, not knowing, I mean, you bought a lot. And then as part of the lot, here's what you got in it. And then when you looked at the, the numbers later, you looked at the first couple and they're common. The standard is like mine are. We yep. just didn't pay attention yep. to the other ones until, whoops, now what do we got? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, no sense taking a risk. Get them out. We should turn those into something and make lamps out of them. Or... Well, the common item is they cut them in half, and you can either make wind chimes out of them or upside-down <laughs> potted plants. I mean, there's a lot of suggestions. But, I mean, one the initial idea was to go ahead and use them for 100-pound storage tanks. I don't think it's going to rip and blow me apart at 100 pounds. But that's a very heavy tank just to keep around the house for 100 pounds of air. No, you no, you, you you can go and buy and have a couple of gallon one and yeah. be fine. Yeah, yeah, it's and the and the thing that it's better to to make them unusable so somebody doesn't accidentally pick one up and use it for something else. Or sell it. Or sell it. Yeah. yeah another reason to be careful when you're looking at stuff online. Uh, next up is we have Stealth Suit for Close Encounters, an Auckland company, is uh, has created a stealth wetsuit that it's hoping to uh, let scuba divers and spear fishermen get closer to marine life. It's a, uh, he worked with a mill in Taiwan to develop a carbon fabric he called Hex Stealth Screen. Uh, he concealed the faint electric signals emitted by humans and detected by all kinds of underwater species. The fabric has been incorporated into wetsuits made by Excel, the United States brand, and will be launching the dive industry show in Florida, which, as we know, is DEMA. says one of the challenges in the value technology was the carbon yarn yanked from the grid format of blocking electrical currents. Well, that just means if you dive in a Faraday cage, you're fine. <laughs> you know what a Faraday cage is? Yeah, you, you can kind of make those out of copper, put them around. Yeah. I'm Actually, I, I'm sitting in one right now. That way yeah. the, the CIA can't listen in on me. Uh, I use an aluminum hat. You know, I took foil and put it around my head. <laughs> it's supposed to work. <laughs> it's supposed to. I wonder if we can get a logo put on a, aluminum hats. <laughs> Crazy and crazier. Yeah, but uh, they expects them to be completed and ready for sale about February, six hundred dollars U.S. or seven hundred thirty-eight dollars in uh, was that? This is U.K. So New Zealand. Yeah. So down I in would New Zealand. Love to see the stats that prove this minimizes your electrical impulse that's picked up by a fish. Well, from my experience with electrical impulses, if you're creating enough of a field. Unless it completely encompasses your body, it's not going to stop it. You're in water. You're in salt water, which is a better conductor of those type of signals than anything else anyway. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, well, be, like, like you said, like it'd be nice. The, yeah, the, the stats. What testing did they do to prove this? I'm just curious. I mean, you're talking way down there in the power range, you know. But, again, sharks really have a, 
uh, very sensitive electronic pickup. Yeah, uh, James in the chat room says, uh, what, what else would you want that kind of suit for? Sharks, military, screwing around with mines? <laughs> <sighs> yeah, maybe. He wouldn't have to sell too many to the military. That, would, that wouldn't be too bad for him. Well, interesting. And we talked about it, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm still willing to bet that his market's not going to be too high on that one. No, and I and I there's been a few articles I've skimmed over in the past weeks where they've talked about these stealth type of suits. Some of them are doing it from the aspect of camouflage, where they're doing different camouflage patterns on. But to me, I want to look like something that's not edible or that they wouldn't normally eat. Yeah. I don't want to blend in with food. <laughs> Well, I'd love to talk on the look at the other items. My computer just went to hell. Uh-oh. Oops, sorry. Can I say that on the air? <laughs> you can say that. Um, let's see. So the Dima show, uh, we, 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 I'll paste. I've, some of these are going to paste in the chat room. You can follow them along. We'll also have the Dima show updates in the show notes. Uh, we've got Rich Sinewick of Diver Sync and Divers Incorporated is down there. So I'm sure we're going to hear from him. You can follow him on his podcast. He'll have some of the stuff in the show, and then maybe we'll be able to talk him to come on or at least give us some tidbits of what he's seeing. Uh, let's see. Uh, there's this variety of items. It seems to be kind of a heavy uh, launch here, this. Uh, it'll be interesting to see at the end of the week what attendance is life. like. Sea Life has a few new products coming out. Uh, they have a 14-megapixel camera, the DC-1400. Gee, see how that works together. Uh, it works down to 200 feet, has a ruggedized armor housing, and a camera with a five times zoom rechargeable battery, three inch LCD. Now they give a price on that thing. Um, they're recommending uh, it's going to be about $549. And, you know, that might not be too bad. Other than, uh, you know, I've heard, uh, I think even Rich has recommended that you buy a housing camera from separate, separate companies. Um, uh, uh, let's see what else we got. We got some uh, waterproof camera cases from Seashell have been introduced. Uh, there's some dry cases for iPhones. That's what I've been looking for. I, I'd like to have one for actually a, a uh, iPad. To my knowledge, nobody's making an iPad underwater case yet. Uh, there's also some uh, company is getting ready to introduce a dive computer, which plugs into your iPhone and actually makes your iPhone into your dive computer. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how great that's going to be. It, I'm kind of torn on that idea. You know, my 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 phone locks up. In fact, right now my battery life is kind of bad. They just did an update. But uh, uh, A plus Marine supplies a number of products that they're going after lionfish. Hmm. Let's see. I got one more. We'll paste this also into the chat room. If you're in the chat room, that's kind of like bonus. You get to you get some of the the stories as they come. And then dive we'll folk. Well, I was going to say, we'll have to talk to Jeremy when he comes back because he is uh, covering DEMA for Wolves. Maybe you can get him on the podcast and talk a little bit too about yeah. what he did. Yeah, if you, if you bump into him down there at the shop, uh, mention it to him. We'll get him on. Uh, uh, that'll do. Uh, then divephotoguide.com. They've, they're, they're down there covering it too, you know, from a camera angle. They've actually got some videos. They've they, if, you're, if you like photos, they've got some excellent photos in their, in their coverage. Uh, some housings. Very. There's a nice underwater uh, uh, flashlight or torch. Though that that have to be something exciting. I, I would love to go down there and try out all the dive lights. Well, I'm looking at some of their cameras now. It's like whoa. 
Yeah. I can't afford a surface camera like that. No, no. Yeah, some some of these have to be pretty serious if you're going to be doing. But uh, uh, some of these small dive lights I've got, you know, about the size of my pinky, is a backup light. Yeah, I just got to those now. Yep, some nice underwater housing, some lenses. It's amazing how many are LEDs now. Yep, they're coming along, coming along. Wow, look at that. There's another, there's another nice housing, the Equinox uh, for the JVC GS TD1 3D camera. Ah, so 3D, it won't be long. So if I if I had unlimited money, I'd have had one of those already. <laughs> had one of those it's already. Pots and pans. Yeah. So that's it. We have one final thing, and I I just got this. And as always, we want you to support your local dive shops. Your local dive shops need your support. Need you to come on in and buy stuff. And you know, if you don't get help support them where you're going to get air from but with that said we have leisure pro has announced that they have recently become an online scuba pro dealer so is this the beginning of a trend uh well there's a look how much shopping's done online anymore yeah and i mean ebay uh, craigslist yeah i uh, as much as you as you hate to see it what i think and i and i've said this for a while now is you're going to get I think your small mom and pop local dive shops pretty much they're done. Uh, you're you're going to see them around the people who can afford to do who don't need to do it as a living. They're going to be able to have a dive shop, have some little odds and ends around. But uh, you're going to see what I think are going to be these medium sized dive shops, the dive right ends, uh, the uh, or you know they're they're going to represent maybe they're going to be the local dive shop for a hundred square miles as opposed to a local dive shop for 20 or 30 miles. Well, you know, as you talk, start talking about that, I was just thinking, I wonder if that's part of the problem with we have a lot of divers, but we don't see all the divers that have been certified, is the ease of being able to get refills. Because you look where we have our area, where can you get air? Now, you got Benton Harbor, you got Holland, you got Battle Creek, you got a place in Kalamazoo. Elkhart. Look how apart those are. Yeah. yeah, you're talking 50 miles right now. You're just talking 100 a minute ago, I think. But now you're 50 miles is what we've got. Well, and then you think about how how many trips does it take? Do you have to take to a if you're not if you're diving and you're diving every year? There's a certain number of trips to the dive shop you have to make. You have to get your tanks vised. You have to get them filled after you empty them. You have to get your your dive gear serviced. You know, there's a lot of odds and end trips that you have to make to get to the to be active in the sport well look like when i just got replacement for my bc hose i had a choice of chicago or battle creek no in between and they would not sell me the spare part the part was 11 bucks i could put it on because i am technically proficient to put a tie wrap on but they wouldn't do it because of the liabilities what was the part that you needed my my inflator hose remember i had to rip in the top part Oh yeah. That's why I kept burping my machine. It's because it's like under the under the where it hooked in. Mm-hmm. There was a slice. It was actually um, I found it was a uh, manufacturer's defect, and uh, you know obviously it's not brand new to me type item, so there's no recourse there. But you're talking it's a ten year old defect, and uh, but I still had to go one or the other to get that fixed. You're talking about getting your regulator serviced. You can buy lots of kits online, and if you've got any technical training, it's not really hard to do a lot of uh, repairs on your regulator, but quite often you do want to have 
special tools to get in to do the little sometimes valve replacements or poppet replacements that a lot of people don't have the technical ability or don't take the time to be technically proficient. Mm-hmm. So, well, well, stuff like that. I mean, I, I wouldn't advocate somebody fixing their own regulator unless they've taken time to get the training and understand their gear. I mean, you have to you have to have all the, not necessarily special tools, but you have to be equipped to measure your intermediate pressure and you have to really understand how that works. So, uh, I, I do believe that people could be trained to do it themselves, but, um, you know, it's, it's not something that, you know, an average person on their own blindly should just take up and do. But, uh, the, the, but the challenge is, you know, we're ta- as I'm talking about how many trips you got to make to the shore, the store. So you're going to have to drop that off and then you're going to have to come back. And, and or have to send it by mail and pay postage and insurance two different ways. Yeah. And when you're a diver like me, uh, part of the reason why I, I, I'm, I need to get mine in and get serviced. It's due now to be serviced. My problem is I don't stop diving long enough to, to want to drop it in. Now, well, uh, Rich, I'm going to talk about something here for a second. I'm going to jump yeah. right in here a minute. All right, you're a new diver. You're going to have your service. I'm very curious of the divers who've been out there with gear five and ten years, how often they have their service. I do not. I take care of my own, always have. Now, I have had exceptions where I know I can't fix something, so I'll take it in because, one, I couldn't get the part. But I've had better luck doing it myself than having someone else do it for me who's supposed to be qualified more so than myself. So of all the experienced divers you got out there, and when I say experience, I'm talking three, four, five years where you got out of the habit of taking your scuba pro in to get fixed or something. Mm-hmm. How many guys out there do it themselves or really take it in every year to have their BC tuned up? I'm curious. I know I don't. I can I can name 10 divers that I personally know <laughs> do not. And well, and, and Rich, Rich we've, we've talked about that before, and that's one of the things where he's a big advocate of everybody having their gear serviced every year. But he knows by the stuff that's coming in there that it hasn't been, he, like you said, it hasn't been serviced in a long time. That's some, because it hadn't been used. Yep. Well, that's true. Some of it's not been used. Or there are some people who don't think that it, they, it only needs service when it stops working. Well, when it stops working, it's too late. Yeah. So you, you have to be proactive in, in keeping your, your gear maintained. But, uh, you know, the one thing we've talked about is scuba diving can be a pain in the butt. And that's where the retailers and dive shops have to be. How do we make it to be less of a pain in the butt? I don't know. So that... Oh, so let's let's go ahead and head on uh, into the type of the show we talked about last week's dives. You mean uh, last week's your dive? My dive. I actually got a dive in, and I, and you didn't. And that, I think it's the first time in a long time, unless you're sick, where I got a dive in and you didn't. Uh, I Jim. I don't intend that to happen again. Yep, Jim Kleeman and I and uh, Kirk the Jerk went to Lake 16. So. We got a dive. I, we were originally going to go out in Lake Michigan. I think you were planning on going. Jim Schultz is going to go. We're going to have quite a group going out there, Lake Michigan, but three to five foot waves kind of did it in. So we had to go oh. to our fallback site, which was Lake 16, Martin, Michigan. And it had probably been a few months since I had been up there. It's a, it's a nice lake. Uh, can get down to about 80 feet in some spots. I, I think we even had maybe 80 feet. But... Uh, uh, kind of a, a rainy, dark day, a little bit of blowing. Uh, we went up there, uh, Jim had his new dry gloves on his dry suit. He put those on. So it was the test run for his, uh, dry gloves on the dry suit. So I was the only one diving wet. 
Water temp was uh, in the mid to high 50s in the water. Uh, at depth was 39 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, a little chilly down there at 65, 70 feet, right? It does get a little chilly. You know, and I, I know all the, the tricks, and I was using most of them. I had uh, uh, polyester thermals underneath my wetsuit. I primed with warm water. I had my uh, three-finger lobster claw gloves on. I had two hoods, which I hate wearing two hoods, but that definitely makes it a little bit warmer, uh, and went down. So I had about a 35-minute dive. Excellent. And visibility? Visibility was good for Lake 16. We had uh, walking out to, when you say walking out, it's a, it's a shore dive. So you go on a boat launch, and then you've got about 25, 30 feet of where it's shallow. It goes down to about nine feet, and then it comes up to a spot where it's only two or three feet, and then it has a ledge that goes down into the quarry part of the lake. So as you do that little walk, you kind of silt it up, and it's this fine muck clay mica i'm not sure what the mineral is but it was some sort of mineral that they used to mine there and so i had that stirred up uh we we got down the platform and you we probably had a good 25 30 feet uh viz at the platform went down to the bottom it got down to about 20 feet there were spots where there's a lot of cave lines laid along the bottom that go between different objects there's uh some cars down there there's some boats down there uh, communications booth, some platforms. You know, I think every quarry's got to have a toilet. Uh, so oh, there the was skeleton, the skeletons are nice. Skeletons down there in in honor of Halloween. Skeleton typewriter. Uh, let's see what else we see. Chains, signs, all sorts of stuff down there. You, every time I go down there, I see something new. Uh, but there were spots where it we did get to visibility was four or five feet, and it's a dark lake. Uh, you definitely need a dive light if you're going to be diving in that. I had my backup light that I was using. Uh, Kurt had his laser beam. Uh, uh, I think he's still diving in uh, HID. I don't think he's gone LED yet. But uh, we did some. We did some. Uh, got a good diving. Uh, Jim, uh, he still has a little bit of a leak on his uh, dry suit. He bought it used. It seems to be around the inflator, maybe possibly. So he's got to take a look and see what we got to do to get that to where he's dry. But uh, uh, he he was enjoying it. He he he's liking his dry suit, and I did get some photos. So I'll be of my gear, so I can show everybody what my gear is. I'll get those posted. Uh, probably I don't know if I'm, when I'm gonna get a chance uh, sometime in the next. Hopefully before the end of the weekend's out, I'll have those up and posted. Well, I hope you get them up before we have the turkey dive. Now you got to get them up before the turkey dive. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll turkey dive, turkey dive. Okay, that's yeah, coming up here pretty soon. Yeah, it's the 26th. Yep, so if, uh, you know, do we have any idea on the sp- dive spot yet for the turkey dive? Well, it's tentative still for the uh, St. Joe River, Benton Harbor side on, you know, Lakeview or Lake, whatever you're going to call it, the, the road by the lake. Uh-huh. Uh, our optional, and we should know better by then, would be the uh, place we did last year because of the lousy visibility in the St. Joe. We went to the St. Joe River and Niles. Mm-hmm. So that'll probably be the backup. Uh Aside from that, on the 27th, there's that program going to be up in Holland or South Holland or South Haven, I think. Oh, I think South Haven Maritime Museum. Yep. Uh, Jim is going to be doing a presentation up there on that day. Something else to put on a calendar. Excellent. And again, then we get to, uh, you know, welcome in the new officers to the dive club on uh, the 15th, which is the next dive club meeting date and election night. Cool. Excellent. 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 So. And then uh, you have any dives planned for this weekend, Mac? 
Uh, well, we got a tentative one planned. If the lake goes back down to about one foot or so, uh, uh, Bob gave the call out tonight looking for divers to go on the Muskegon, which is down there off of uh, basically Michigan City. It's uh, shallow water, 35 feet maybe. Uh, I think the club has been out there introducing or starting out the year down there a couple of times last yep. couple of years. So this would be a good way to sort of end the season. And if we get blown off the lake, I believe it's going to be Long Lake, which is in Kalamazoo. Yeah, that's one I haven't been to. And uh, obviously, if people are interested, you can give us a call and we'll have more details. But we won't really know which one we're going to until uh, probably Saturday. We'll still yeah. meet at Bob's and then go from there. Yep. You know. yep. uh, last week, I think probably the other nice little part is Ken did go to the uh, Shipwrecks and Technology presentation they had there up in Muskegon. Excellent. How do you like that? Uh, he liked it. Uh, he paid particular attention to a few areas, which was the ROVs. Uh, he thought it was quite interesting that a number of the entries or the number of ones they had on display were from local high schools, uh, and some of them were pretty interesting. So that that was uh, a nice part. He went to some of the presentations. Uh, he did. It was nice enough to give me some pictures of some uh, homemade subs that a number of people did bring, the ones from Michigan. And I do have pictures of those. I will probably be posting those because I like submarines. Home builds. Excellent. Uh, let's see what else he, he he went to some presentations, which he really enjoyed. And we're going to follow up. Uh, we're planning on going to Bowling Green, matter of fact, uh, where they have some really nice archives, archived materials on underwater wrecks. So we're going to go do a little research down there tomorrow. That's the plan. Now, yeah, Bowling Green, they're, if you look at a lot of... Uh sites where they've done where they have old shipwrecks posted the photo credit typically tends to be at least in the great lakes bowling green now, bowling green has been the recipient of a good number of when when people who are really interested in this and have their own records when they pass uh, fortunately the stuff does not get tossed in the trash it gets will to a good museum and bowling green seemed to get a lot of good stuff yes it does yes. so it's, it's good I mean, and that maybe that should be a requirement. If you have dive photos or archives, get them organized and will them so that you're, when you pass on, somebody doesn't just throw them in a dumpster. Well, remember, that's what they were talking about uh, in Carolina when we did the Cooper River dive, that part of their permit system that when you, you're allowed to take stuff off of wrecks is the only thing they want you to do is keep a, a listing of it, let them have it and make it available for someone to review. If they're doing an exploration or, or books or studies, they can look up this list to see who found what and ask your permission to come photograph it, look at it, and then they've got their hands. They can get their hands on it and look at something. And it's not in a museum, it's in your house. And then when you pass, you can pass it to your family, but they still know where it's at if people want to look at it for historical purposes. Or you can, again, you know, donate it back to the state not a bad deal or bad idea and did i lose you no you didn't lose me okay, but the, ch the chat room is really distracting tonight they've got quite a few conversations that's scrolling like uh, a race car game going on or something well i'm gonna have to start getting on that to take a look and see what yeah, all that we, we've noise got quite a few about. chat rooms some new some new faces some i'd say old faces but i don't know how old they are but uh, some people we've seen in the chat room in the past uh -huh. And then, uh, let's see, something about I have brain damage related to a wetsuit, which I'm not going to argue with. That's uh, probably fairly accurate. Is that a, the royal I or we? 
So let's see, what else do we got coming up? Uh, you know, as always, we appreciate the five star reviews uh, on iTunes. Make sure you stay subscribed. We also have, we're now on Stitcher Smart Radio. So you can go to Stitcher Smart Radio if you've got a smartphone or smart mobile device. Uh, you can download Stitcher. You do that by going to www.stitcher.com forward slash scuba, and uh, they'll enter you into a drawing. Uh, you might even be able to get a little money out of them for that. So go ahead and do Stitcher. And the nice thing about that is if you like to listen to podcasts, you don't like to download the whole thing at once, you can start listening right away, and it streams it right to your, your phone. So we're now on Stitcher Smart Radio. And then if you want to follow us, you can... Uh, do the Facebook thing, facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. You can also listen to us or follow us on Twitter uh, at scuba obsessed is the show Twitter account. You can also follow me directly at Darren Jilson, D-A-R-R-I-N-J-I-L-L-S-O-N. And Jim Kleeman is at J Kleeman, K-L-I-J-K-L-I-E-M-A-N-N. And he's been known to get on there as well, even though we're still trying to twist his arm to get him back on the show. Uh, Mac, have you gotten on Twitter yet? No, nope. I have not. <laughs> and also, I'm playing around with uh, Google Plus. So you can, uh, if you're on Google Plus, uh, Darren Jilson on Google Plus, you can do a search and I should come up that way. You can throw me in a circle or something. Let's see, we got anything to promote? Anything coming up? I don't, I think we've just about done it. Yeah, everybody's down in Dima having a good time. I'm sure uh, Rich and everybody down there has is, is broken out their spare livers. Yeah. <laughs> and if we don't uh, have what's that? It'd be nice to be down there, that's for sure. Yeah, it'd be nice. Uh it sounded like Rich was gonna get a bunch of diving in and I heard a lot of other people going down there for diving. I don't know why it's in Vegas, though. It seems like they could find another dive location instead of Vegas. Not that I wouldn't mind Vegas, but I, I can handle Vegas. Okay. So God, it just seems like I'm forgetting something. I think I say that every week, but well, let's go ahead and get to it. It's that time of the show. Are you ready? Born ready. Okay. A diver walks into a restaurant with his young son. He gives his young boy three nickels to play with to keep him occupied. Suddenly, the boy starts choking, going blue in the face. The father realizes the boy has swallowed the nickels and starts slapping him on the back. Sure enough, the boy coughs up two of the nickels but keeps choking, Looking at his son, the father is panicking, shouting for help. A well-dressed, attractive, and serious-looking woman in a blue business suit is sitting at the coffee bar, reading a newspaper, and sipping a cup of coffee. At the sounds of the commotion, she looks up, puts her coffee cup down, neatly folds a newspaper, places it on the counter, gets up from her seat, makes her way unhurried across the restaurant. Reaching the boy, the woman carefully drops his pants, takes a hold of the boy's testicles, and starts to squeeze and twist, gently at first, then ever so firmly. After a few seconds, the boy convulses violently, coughs up the last nickel, and the woman deftly catches it in her free hand. She releases the boy. The woman hands the nickel to her father and walks back to eat at the coffee bar without saying a word. As soon as he's sure his son has suffered no ill effects, the father rushes over to the woman and starts thanking her. I've never seen anybody do that before. It was fantastic. Are you a doctor? No, the woman replied. I'm with the IRS. I like that one. <laughs> you can blame Mac for that one too. That was that was one that you sent me this week. Hey, but I didn't say you had to use it. No, you did. So. But she did get that last nickel, didn't she? She did. 
all the way to the last nickel. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> so, until next time, go out there and get wet. And be safe. Recording has been completed. Oh, well, thanks everybody in the chat room. We had uh where's where's everybody from? Let's see. We've got we've got Lisa, we've got James, we've got uh Dive Mistress, uh Tara af- out of the New Zealand. We had Og for a while, Shipwreck Mike. Excellent. Ohio. That's right. Just down the road from Dave. In California. California. Whoa. California. Here I come. Thousand Oaks, California.